Donananian, the valve cover on the Volkswagen TDI engine. Can Volkswagen make anything right lately? The Car Doctor. So the valve cover should only be replaced in the event of a leak. VW says that the cover may be reused if the seal is in good condition. But what if it's leaking? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, start your engines, or hope that they can. And if not, stick around for the next hour. It's me, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, here at 855-560-9900, talking to you about your car. And maybe I can help you get it to start. Maybe I can help you get it to start better. Maybe I can help you to make it run longer. And that's what this radio show is all about. More information at cardoctorshow.com along with podcasting capability. Also, tune in iHeart, iTunes. They'll take the podcast. And, um, you know, we're here Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. So you can stream the show vis-a-vis cardoctorshow.com as well. If you're in a marketplace where the affiliate isn't there or, you know, they don't carry the show and you're podcasting and you want to stream it live, you can do it also from the uh, computer to the left of the control room here at uh, cardoctorshow.com. Uh, real quick, and I know the phones are backed up. I'm seeing a, a, a lot of calls coming in. Um, I, I just have to comment on this. I was reading the Saturday paper today and looking at the used car ads. Now, as a kid growing up, I remember the used car ads on Saturday and Sunday, the weekend, two pages, you know, one of one or two or three or four of everything. And I don't know if this is a sign of the times or we're just there's less used cars or there's less used cars in the marketplace. You know, there's 22 used car ads in the Saturday paper today. And uh, like you look at that and you say, and I guess maybe it's all done online now. Maybe that's the catch. But I start reading the used car ads. I was doing this during the pause between the hours when we had the news going uh, for six minutes and. You know, a Volkswagen Jetta, a VW Jetta 2002, runs good, 112,000 miles. It runs good, though, 112,000 miles. Needs an alternator, brakes, and a muffler, 600 bucks. Now, my question is, if it needs brakes and it needs a muffler and it needs an alternator, how are you going to road test it? How can you take that car out and go down the road with it? And then, you know, $600 for another, if, if you lost it, what are you going to do? Argue the guy down to three? If you give the guy 300 you might as well scrap it because that's about what it's worth. Well, it's a VW, right? Yeah, virtually worthless. And there, there you, you go. go. You know, but then then right above it, there's a 2006 Toyota Solaris, 77,000 miles, blue, gray leather interior, sunroof, well-maintained to one owner, $6,700. Seven grand for an 11-year-old car? I mean, I get it that they hold their value, but holy cow. And you know what? Somebody will give it to them. It's it's really kind of amazing. Um, you know, even the Mercedes, right? A 98 Mercedes S420, excellent condition and out, white with light gray leather, 150,000 miles, no mechanical issues. Now, I don't know if that means that the left side of the car is missing body-wise or that it's just a nice car and there's no mechanical issues, but they want $3,600 firm. Just, I don't know. You look at used car ads and you start to wonder, you know, and then you start to realize that when they say, you know, it's it's $40,000 for a new version of whatever it is, it's now 600 bucks. That 40 grand really, that's a lot of money. Cars are expensive. 
I got to find something else to fix in my next life. Anyway, let's kick the garage doors open because I know we're going to get busy this hour. I can see the list. And let's go talk to Paul in Stanton, Virginia, 87 Bronco 2. Paul, how are you doing today, sir? What can yeah, I do for hi. you? Yes, sir. What's going on? Uh, yes, uh, well, a few days ago, um, I arrived at work, and the seatbelt buckle would not release. And I thought, oh, that's fine. Well, at least the car's not on fire. And uh, or, or going anyway, over cliff, I, right? I actually... Yeah. I I, I uh, pulled uh, all the slack out of the belt, out of the retractor, and slid out from underneath it, which wasn't the easiest thing to do. Right. I'm uh, I'm close to six foot, and, and you know 190. But uh, I don't know what I would do if I was 250. But anyway. Right. Uh, anyway, so I I uh, I eventually got the thing undone. Uh, by just jiggling and, and yanking the heck out of it. And uh, for the last couple of days, I've been using the, uh, stretching it over from the pastures, uh, stretching it over to the passenger side, which is, you know, just on the other side of the console. Right, yeah, sure. Uh, and that works, but, you know, ultimately, obviously, I need to fix it. Well, sooner or later, somebody's going to want to go for a ride with you, so it's going to become a problem. Yeah. And it'll, it would be a problem, too, come inspection time, which yep. is in May. Yep. yep. Uh, so anyway. Your question to me. Uh, is there some way of replacing this buckle? And then the other thing is maybe everybody should keep a pair of scissors, heavy scissors, in their console to cut the belt when this happens, whatever yeah. vehicle it may be. Fair comment. Absolutely a fair comment, a razor knife or something sharp, because if you're in the car, as you say, you know, if you were, heaven forbid, in a, in a crash and you couldn't get the seatbelt unbuckled, is that a problem? And, yeah, you know, something to cut through the harness wouldn't be the worst idea. So I, I agree with that statement, first of all. We'll take the second part first. Uh, second, to repair that, first, you know, in 87, obviously I would call Ford, but I can almost guarantee you that the Ford dealer is going to tell you that those parts are no longer available. The vehicle's 30 years old. So what I'm going to say is a buckle is a buckle, and there are enough antique cars out there from this generation, uh, cars and trucks. You know, Somebody's going to provide this under a restoration title. I'm sure, you know, have you gone out and searched Seatbelts 87 Bronco just to see what comes up? No, I, I expect I'll be able to get one, but I was wondering if uh, you've run into this before. Sure, and, yeah, absolutely, uh, and and I'll do just what I'm what I'm saying. I'll I'll search seatbelt for whatever vehicle it is, or I'll start talking to the guys that you know that are doing uh, classic car seatbelts and say, listen, I've got an XYZ car, so I'd say I've got an '87 Bronco too. Can you cut the old buckle off and you know restitch me? a buckle side or a, or a, a, a harness side, you know, to match in, in like color, uh, so forth. Now, sometimes I can't get the exact color of the belt, so I'll, I'll just opt out to replace both, both sides, all the webbing in black, and, and do it like that. It may not look exactly perfect, but, you know, it gets us by. Well, this, it, this it, is the, uh, excuse me, Ron, yeah. the, uh, the buckle it it actually goes into a plastic sleeve, which is color-coordinated. Right. So it wouldn't matter. It could be blue. It could be orange. It, it's not going to make any difference. Right. And you just... Um, now, because keep, you just retain your sleeve. Right. Now, if you and can, then it bolts it, in 
It's only a it's oh, just, about ten inches long. Yeah, it's just a retainer with a, uh, with, a, with a plastic sleeve on it. Now, if you can get the part number out right. of Ford, if Ford still has a, a part number available for it, and they tell you it's obsolete, there is a place in Middle America. I think it's Green Auto Sales or Green Ford Parts. Uh, it's been a while since I've thought of them, but if you were to Google search again, obsolete Ford Parts Green Auto Sales is what I'm betting it is. And I think they're in Ohio or Indiana, Illinois, somewhere in that neck of the woods. They may have that part in stock. I'm told that they tend to keep quite a very large inventory of obsolete Ford parts, and you know that that could just solve it for you right there. Um, you know, so you know two sources to yeah, go. Yeah, it'd be, one of those it'd be nice work. to have a new one rather than you know have a junkyard and wonder when that's going to fail. So right, exactly. And you might as well get it. Yeah. You, you're going to go through the pain and, and 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 the cost. You might as well deal with it now and. Um, that's how I'd approach it. I'd probably try green first because obviously bolt in, bolt out would be the easiest. And then second, which one of the seatbelt restoration companies for the classic car restoration industry would be able to make it? And I'm sure somebody could. I've come to the conclusion car companies just sell cars. They don't even build cars anymore. They just sub it out to vendors around the world. And now it's just up to us as repairmen just to go and find those vendors and deal with them directly. And that's really what the game is coming down to. All right, sir. All right. All right. Thank you. You're very welcome, Paul. Good luck to you and yours, and uh, good job keeping that car running. I know we've been talking about this car. Well, we've been talking. I've been talking to Paul in Stanton, Virginia, probably the better part of seven, eight years now, uh, maybe longer. So, um, good job keeping a classic going. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor. We are coming back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the, the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's take that pregnant pause. Isn't it nice being up here on radio, getting to talk about cars? What a great country. Absolutely, positively. Cardoctorshow.com is the website, so I can change it around and kind of get mellow. Okay, let's get busy now. Let's get over and talk to John Harrisonburg, Virginia, and uh, pecking noise. John, what's, what's, what's a pecking noise? Hey, Ron. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Long-time listener. Appreciate Thank you, sir. It. What's going on? I've got a 2003 S10 that I, uh, ZR2 4.3 that I just recently purchased. Just turned over 100,000 miles. So it's just broken in. I'm sorry? It's just broken in. Go ahead. That's what. That's right. Uh, it just recently started. Upon startup, I'll, I'll hear a, a clicking. That goes away. But upon acceleration, now I'm getting a tick, 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 tick. I had a mechanic look at it, and he used a technique with a stethoscope and pulling plug wires, and he alternately, and he indicated there might be a problem with cylinder three and five, either a wrist pin or a possible push rod, and was wondering what your input might be on that. So what he did was he was pulling spark plug wires off and listening for a change in load, and, you know, when he heard the change in load on either of those two cylinders and three and five sit right next to each other on that engine, it's it's kind of difficult to, you know, to pin it down tighter than that in most cases. Uh, when you took when you take the explosion away from the top of the piston, the load goes away, so therefore the noise goes away, so the conclusion becomes it's cylinder-related rod, wrist pin, something like that, rod-bearing wrist pin, something like that. Yeah, he's, he could be right. I mean, there's no... There's no simple way around it, John. Uh, okay. You know, um, it would be it would be a logical diagnosis. You know, if this were 
if this were pull the plug wire off, take the load away, and the noise didn't change, I'd start thinking about lift or tap. And, you know, noises obviously are tough to diagnose on radio, but from the way you're describing it, it sounds like he's he's on to something. And, you know, okay. what, what's, what's his recommendation for a repair? Well, he said, you know, this, this problem will eventually get worse, so it could be two months down the road or two years. Yep. So I guess at that point, it, I'd be looking at a remand uh, motor, I would expect. Right. You know, the the only thing, you know, you might try, and it's, you know, how scientific is it going to be, is to change the oil and put a real thick viscosity in. Does that slow the noise down? And if it did, I would be more inclined to think rod bearing versus wrist pin. But then the argument kind of gets into if the rod bearing went, if this, if this was a rod problem, What's the bigger issue? Mechani- mechanical parts of an engine don't generally don't fail without provocation or reason. All right, and if it's got some sort of a wrist pin failure impending or some sort of a rod bearing that's making noise, what wasn't done as far as maintenance? So therefore, we now have to assume what's the rest of the engine like. Okay, understand. the The bigger question is how much do you like the vehicle? Well, it's, it's a really nice vehicle, and right. again, uh, it just turned 100,000. The body's in great shape. The interior's in great shape. Uh, the guy did everything. I'm the second owner, and the guy did everything right. Right. He 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 uh, he you know took took care of every maintenance. So that's what's kind of perplexing me about this. So well, listen, you know, anytime I you know I'll do maintenance at the shop all day long, and everybody'll say, "Oh, good, it's good, it's ready for another 200,000 miles," right? Yeah, until something breaks. Um, you know, because all maintenance does is put the odds in your favor. All right. And it just, it just puts a set of eyes and a trained set of hands. If it's in the right shop for someone to look at it and, you know, make sure that things are where they left them. You ever, um, you ever have a stereo fail or a TV not turn on, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and a TV is kind of a great example. How much maintenance is there to a TV? It turns on, it turns off. You got to feed it electricity. Wipe the screen down once in a while. So it's sort of like a car. You do the best you can. You, you give it the maintenance you can. Um, and then one day, without reason or provocation, that's it. You're done. Uh, you know, my dead dog that wasn't dead yesterday died today. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. Um, and it can happen. The odds are it's not great, but unfortunately, that's what happens. Um, so, you know, the real question is, do you get it fixed or do you get rid of the car? And that's a question only you can answer. Well, I thank you so very much. You've been most helpful. You're very welcome. Good luck to you. Um, Yeah, it's a tough spot. That's a tough spot to be in. That's, you know, how do you, what do you do with that? And, um, you know, we'll say good luck to him. Bob in in Croydon. Is that Croydon? I'm sorry. New Hampshire? Yep. Croydon. Hi, Ron. Good, sir. 05 Ford Ranger. What's going on? Uh. About a year ago, I started having a symptom where I would step on the gas as I'm starting out. It would go to about 30, 32 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden the engine would conk- it would start slipping. The transmission would slip, and the engine would start to rev higher and then cut down and go higher and cut down. So I thought, just in my own mind, I thought it was a fuel filter. So I replaced the fuel filter myself. It seemed to have gone away, but then it started coming back. Like once a month that would happen. So now, about a month ago, it started happening more frequently. I took it to my mechanic, who I trust, and he said, 
It does sound, he sounds like you've got several things going on here. One is the slipping transmission. Two is the linkage that needs adjusting. And three, it sounds like your engine is cutting out at, at 3,000 RPM for some reason. I, I tried to explain to him that this is a 4-liter V6, and I think it's supposed to cut out at 3,000 uh, RPM. Maybe I'm wrong about that. but So he suggested let's flush it, drive it around for a couple of weeks, and see what happens. So we flushed it. It seems like it's a little better, but it's still happening. All right, so let's let's back up a second here, Bob. Okay. Um, when you say it cuts out at 3,000 RPM, are you talking about while you're driving it or free revving it in the bay? Oh, no, 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 while, while I'm driving it. Yeah, okay. I'll it's, go down the road. It'll go up to about 30 miles an hour. And where it normally would shift, instead of shifting, the engine RPM goes up a little, and then it cuts out, right. and then goes up and cuts out. Okay. It's not supposed to die at 3,000 RPM. It's, oh, it's, it's not? It, no, it's not a built-in rev limiter. All right? Oh. It, it, that, that doesn't exist. All right? If you were trying to free rev this sitting there in neutral or park in the shop and just put your foot to the floor, no modern-day engine will exceed a preset RPM uh you know there is a there is a, what I'll call a cutout or a um, uh, you know a shutdown based on engine and load and you know they do that for a variety of reasons but yeah that's normal but driving the vehicle you know you, listen you were at a stop sign and you had to accelerate out onto the road and you had to put your foot into the headlight is it going to normally go over three thousand rpm probably right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, why isn't it doing it? It's, you know, uh, when Ron wants to get home in a hurry and he's in the plow truck, if he puts his foot in the headlight, it'll pull 5,800 RPM. Um, oh, I, could, I could step on the gas, like, right away, right. real hard, and it'll go. But when it gets to around 30, it, it, it seems like the transmission's slipping. And... Well, what, what RPM is the engine at, though, when it starts to do that? Do you have, uh, a, do you have a tack in the truck? Yeah, it'll go up to right around 3,000. Okay, and if you if you try to shift beyond that... Does the engine RPM increase, or it just it's held off by the trans shifting? Uh, you mean when I uh, when I try to change the shifter? Right. The, I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll bring it down to second gear so I can keep going. I'll tell you what, Bob. Stay on the line. Let's finish this on the other side of this commercial break. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor. Phone number is 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Leave a message if we're not here, and we will call you back and get you in queue. And don't forget, if you're podcasting, please click subscribe if you have that opportunity, depending upon your podcast player. Let's get back to Bob in, in Groydon, New Hampshire. Bob, you're there? Yeah, I'm here. So let me ask you the question this way, and Bob's having troubles with his trouble with his transmission and the way that it shifts and maybe the engine, too, for those of you just tuning in. What if you manually operate the trans position you know if you start out put the put the automatic trans in first drive it probably going to bring it up to about 17 18 miles an hour manually put it into second and then so on third and so on up through the gear select have you tried that does the vehicle operate normally at that point i did try that once and yes it does operate normally but what i found i could also do run is when this happens like at around 30 i'll shift down to second gear Right. Bring it up to around 40, 45, and then push it back up into drive, and I'm good. Okay. And at, at when you're doing that, is engine RPM going over 3,000 RPM? 
Um, it, it varies. I mean, it. Uh, well, it's it's got either either it does or it doesn't. Does it go? No, over th- no, it doesn't because I can go at, at that point. I'm doing sixty or sixty-five, and it's only doing two thousand RPM. Okay. So the first thing you've got to establish is: is there something wrong with the engine? Because if the engine has a problem, some sort of performance issue, it's going to affect trans operation. The dog, the dog, the dog wags the tail. The tail doesn't wag the dog. Oh, I All see right. what you're saying. Yeah. So first things first, we want to look at that. Uh, you know, I failed to ask. Check engine light on. Has anybody scanned this for any fault codes? And I, I just had an inspection, and it passed. The, okay. the fault codes are no fault codes. Okay. So then the next thing I would want to know, and I like to do this on problem vehicles. I always like to baseline a problem vehicle. Battery terminals clean and tight. I always yep. lo- I always load test the battery. I always check the charging system. And I will always take it for a ride using a generic OBD2 scan tool, looking at fuel trim and watching oxygen sensor values. It's just... it's While you're driving? While I'm driving. Oh, okay. Why not? Should um, I recommend that to my mechanic? Ask him. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, I like watching fuel trim. Fuel trim tells me a lot. Fuel trim is the stick out your tongue and say ah moment. Obviously, you've got to be a little cautious. You're driving on the road and... You know, I always wonder when I'm going to get the ticket for distracted driving looking at a scan tool. It's not my phone, but I guess they haven't they haven't made looking at a scan tool illegal yet. Um, so I'm always very cautious how I do it and where I do it, and I try to pick a back road that's kind of quiet. So that being said, yeah, I want to look at fuel trim. I want to, you know, where do the numbers fall? If this is a mass airflow sensor car, which this is, I'd like to take it out and from a 20-mile-an-hour kick, put my foot in the headlight. I should see calculated load value exceed 85 to 90 percent heck it should hit 100 percent that tells me the engine's got good volumetric efficiency it's got good you know it can suck in right and if it can't then i'm going to solve that problem first and then i'm going to talk about transmission because you think that could all be connected sure absolutely listen you ever have a car with a bad catalytic converter yeah okay yeah. go drive a car you know, remember beverly hills cop with the banana yep. with the banana in the tailpipe uh-huh, that yeah. Fairmont, that Zephyr didn't make it around the block. All right, it didn't. They weren't able to make the U-turn and follow Eddie Murphy. Uh, you know, up Beverly, up Wilshire Boulevard. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. Exactly so. <laughs> so you know, it's it's if the engine can't breathe, it's not going to run and it's not going to allow the trans to uh, shift and be driven. So, and then at that point, once you establish if there's anything wrong with the engine, repair that, and if not. Then I'd start considering the trans. Do you have a problem? These were problematic units in this particular generation, Ranger. Anything from valve bodies to um, uh, the overdrive piston to you know a couple of things. So one step at a time. Your mechanic's not oh. wrong. You got to break this down into bite-sized pieces and take eat the sandwich one 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 piece at a time. All right. So there were known issues oh, with abso- the Ford yeah. Ranger trannies. Yeah, absolutely. The, the automatics. Yeah, they weren't. They had they had oh. their problems. So. Um, yeah. I only got seventy five thousand miles on us. Yeah. Listen, I've seen him. I've seen him at forty. Okay. Wow. You, you know, always remember this: new or old, mileage or otherwise, the best car in the world can be disabled by something mechanical in terms of a failure or a simple nail in the middle of the road. So un- until right. un- until you solve the problem, never assume and never overlook the simplest thing. Well, I'll suggest that to the mechanic about uh, taking it for a ride and putting a scan on it. Yep. And it was what, what flow was it again? I want to. I want to look at fuel trim. I want to look at lo- long and short term fuel trim, and I want to look and see what calculated flow value, ca- calculated load is, on calculated a road test. Load. 
All right. And hopefully he's familiar with those terms. Right. He did suggest to me that it could be uh, spot plug wise, too. Well, I would before I start jumping it woulda coulda shoulda. I'd start I'd start spending some time for a diagnosis. Load trim. Yeah, calculated load value and Calculate. and fuel trim. Fuel trim. Fuel right. trim and load value. Yep. Okay, one one more question. If I should have to get a trans you think it's worth put he said he'll go to a salvage yard and try to find one. You think it would be worth it for this truck? I put a new one in it. You I would? Re- yeah, well, let me ask you this. 70,000 miles, 75,000 miles. What kind of shapes the rest of the truck in? Uh, everything else seems to be. I mean, it's beat up because okay. I use it so, as a work truck. So but. let's so let's 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 look at it like this. Let's be a little logical, all right? If the rest of the truck is good and rust and corrosion and the roads of New Hampshire and the salt and they haven't killed it yet, let's say the rest of the truck is intact and you've you've done an evaluation of it. Are you going to go to a salvage yard and pull a trans out of a twelve year old vehicle with known problems that I just described to you, and put the problem back in so ten thousand miles later it can happen? Or are you going to have it overhauled by a competent trans shop? that they're going to do all the correct updates, and this way you get anywhere from four to six years out of the transmission with proper care and kindness. Oh, so you're saying it's not a good idea to go to a salvage yard? I wouldn't. Why would you put – if, if if this was a bad run of transmissions, as I just described, uh-huh. and you're going to go out and buy another one and stick it back in the truck, at what point does that problem decide uh, to come out? I see, especially since they had problems with right. that particular year. Well, everything. But also look at the age, Bob. It's 12 years old. Right. You, you can't assume that the, the transit, you know, the vehicle that that trans comes out of in the salvage yard has got 75,000 miles on it. A more realistic mileage would be 150 to 200,000 miles. Wow. So if I went to a, a, bonif- a really good transmission yeah, shop ballpark, what do you think it's going to um, cost me to have that rebuilt? In New Jersey dollars, and I have to do it that way because I, I know what pricing is here in North Jersey, and I know it varies around the country. Uh-huh. It's, it's got to be three grand without even breathing hard. Oh, damn. Seriously? Yeah. yeah it's, you know, it's, but, but, you, you want me to cure you of this? I guarantee I can cure you of this real easy. Oh. Go price a new car. Well, that's what my wife and daughter keeps telling me. Go get a new truck. Go okay. get a new truck. Tell them to they're, go with you and let them sign the check. See how fast everybody <laughs> wants to do it. $35,000. Right. Let everybody help. Okay? So They actually got me thinking about it, though, Ron. Can I ask you, if I do get a new truck, can you recommend one that don't have any issues? I'll tell you what. When you decide to do that, you call me back. We'll have that conversation. Okay. All right, sir? All right. All right. All right I'll... Uh, do you think it would hurt anything if I just kept doing riding it the way it is? Sooner or later, it's going to break, Bob. Just all right. So sooner or later, it's going to break and it's going to become an issue. So go make a decision, and then we'll go from there. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm coming back right after this. Hey, welcome back, Ron and the Car Doctor. Let's real quick get into it at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Let's get over and talk to Stu in Nashua, New Hampshire. Stu, welcome to the car, Doctor, sir. How can I help? Good afternoon. Yes, sir. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Hey, I got a 2000, 2004 F-150 Heritage 4.2 uh, motor. Okay. Automatic. Um, my check engine light has come on again. I had this thing fixed supposedly a year or two ago, and I guess that's the but people say it's it's running lean. It shows on the uh, when they do the scan. Right. It shows a number two cylinder running lean. Okay. What did they now, do to they, What did they do to it a year ago? Uh, they I believe they uh, put some uh, tightened the gasket down with RTV. Um, 
Somebody told me this has a plastic gasket, which is not really uh, holding up, so to speak. You can't tighten it down too much and it'll crack. Okay. High mileage so, on this still? Uh, I got 178, but I put a new transmission in it. Right. Yeah, no, I'm, just, so. I'm just worried about the engine. So, you right. know, when I start to see, this is the 4.2 liter V6, correct? Right. When when I start to see these with lean fuel trim faults, yeah. and when you start it cold, does it run a little rough? Does it give you any, you know, it's not really a smooth idle. It kind of bucks and uh, wheezes. No, not, and re- no, not really. Fires just, right uh, up. It's just setting a lean yep. fault. Yep. Okay. If it's just setting a lean fault with no misfire reported, Right. Then, then we've got to start to track down the cause of the lean condition, all right? Yeah. And, you know, we're going to be looking for vacuum leaks. We're going to be looking for lines that fell off. We're going to be looking for leaks at the intake. Um, right. u- using a bottle of propane and, and, and sniffing around would be a, a grand and glorious thing at this point. Uh, you right. know, looking looking at fuel trim while I'm driving down the road, no-brainer. Yeah. Absolutely, positively got to be part of it. What's what's one of the things that's common with these and what a lot of guys don't try to address or realize is this has internal EGR ports under the intake plenum. Right. And these will clog. And yeah. what they will do is they will start to clog in such a way that when the EGR operates, it will it won't be able to come out that hole, so it will back up and come out one of the other holes and dilute the fuel charge going into that particular cylinder. Yeah. So the only way to fix that is you're either going to do one of two things. You're either going to try and do some carbon cleaning and, yeah. you know, maybe a can of Berryman B12 chem tool, uh, something in the tank to help cut down carbon deposits, yeah. um, you know, might help and do the trick. You can find more at BerrymanProducts.com or they're going to have yeah. to physically pull the intake manifold back off and look for the EGR ports and make sure not only are the EGR ports under the intake plenum clean, but also make sure that the EGR passage at the front of the engine has good flow as well, so it's good, even, equal distribution. Yeah. All right? Um, but okay. the, the, so they're going to have to, so basically you're saying they're going to have, unless the carbon thing works, right. they're going to have to pull. Pull it back uh, apart. I've, I've, okay. yet, I've yet to see a 4.2 V6 that doesn't clog EGR ports. Yeah. Like, like the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Just you know, it's it's and if if they had to use RTV silicone on right. that on that plastic bodied gasket, right? Something's wrong. Either either yeah. they're either they're using the wrong gasket. Yeah. They, they're wrong and they don't understand what a torque wrench is. Yeah. The, the manifold's warped, or the aluminum right. part of the intake manifold is bad. Something's wrong. Right. That's a that manifold is a get a new gasket. It's got an elastometer rubber bead on it. Clean both surfaces, put it together, put a drop of oil on the threads of the bolts, sneak it down there. You can't get in there because it's a, this is this is a, well, this is a truck, so it's not terrible to do. But if this was a van, this is run everything right. up by hand. And I think right. it's something like 36-inch pounds or 42-inch pounds. It's some real light load. Just put it up and a little more and you're done. Um, I've never had to put RTV on a plastic body gasket for GM, Chrysler, or whatever. If I, if, if I right. see it. Somebody's doing something wrong, and they're trying to fix a problem that they're ignoring by using dumb dumb or magic tape. Yeah. So what's so uh, any idea what kind of money we're talking to do that? Ah, uh, you know, which is it? Is it the manifold? Is it the gasket? Is it the right. is, it, is it the problem with the mechanic? Is it the you know? 
Um, here's here's an example where spending a couple hundred dollars on a real diagnosis, rather right. rather than playing poke and hope, right, really gives you great dividends and, and returns. Best answer. Well, I had a pretty yeah, I had a pretty good guy that did the original uh, thing. Him, that's what he automotive. That's his thing. Diagnostics right. and uh, right, right. So it, you know, it held on for uh, for a while. Now it's not. It's not anything caused by crappy gas or anything, right? Well, as it ages, the quality of the gas definitely has an effect on it, sure, because if it's carbon deposits, carbon deposits start accumulating the minute after they put the intake back together, and it took a year or a year and a half for it to, for it, for it to happen all over again. So I would probably try the can of Berryman, BerrymanProducts.com, for more information. And if that doesn't do it for you, then I would by all means get a diagnosis, and be prepared when that intake comes apart. Mention to them if there's EGR ports in this, and I haven't seen a 4.2 that doesn't have it, make sure those EGR ports are clean. Otherwise, this problem is going to continue to go over on a repetitive basis. Good luck to you, sir, and let me know if you need more. I am here for you, Stu. 855-560-9900. I'm back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the car doctor here. Boy, that was a. We're almost at the end of two hours of talk radio. Whew. Like, you know, was it a time warp? I didn't even get to talk about some of the. Next week. Next week, we're going to talk about timing belts. I just want to let you know we're going to talk about timing belts on Subarus and um, how one dealer sort of, you know, it was like fleeced the little old lady's pension fund. It was a conversation about that. And we're going to talk a little bit about an observation. My friend Dave at MotorWorks West, the BMW guru here in North Jersey, had some interesting comments about how to tell if your car is in a good shop or a bad shop. And um, we were having a conversation the other day, and I want to talk about that. So, But uh, right now, let's get over to Dan Marblehead. And uh, Marblehead Mass, I guess that is, 07F150 and a parking brake issue. Dan, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. So what I've got is a 2007 Ford F150. The parking brake, you know, is inside the discs. It's yep. a drum. Yep. Uh, I, I took everything apart, fixed it. Uh, it was all frozen up, replaced everything. And, boy, it works great going in reverse, right? So it holds the truck that way, but it doesn't do much going forward. So I want to know, before I have to pull the, everything off again, if you got an idea for me. Well, yeah, I'm going to tell you to take everything off again because you got something back. Either something's backwards or it's not adjusted properly. This is a cam pivot lever system, right, where the cable comes down and there's a, there's a cam pivot that pushes the the shoes forward after it locks one against the inside of the drum and then the other one gets pushed forward it's a cam pivot the cam pivots work freely and and move 100 percent. well in fact that was the problem was that they were frozen up so yep took those off you know cleaned them up greased them up um i, I so you think it's there though so chances are i probably lock something in i mean i guess what you could tell me is so is it that one shoe's doing the job in reverse and one shoe's doing the job forward? No, what happens is it's like any other servo drum brake system. Listen, this used to happen on older cars with drum brakes all the time. The more common mistake or more common failure was um, you would make the mistake, not you, but the person doing the job. There was a primary and a secondary brake shoe, and the shoes were reversed, and I used to see it then. But basically, one shoe locks against one side. When it locks against the one side of the drum... It then pushes the other one out to lock it against the other side of the drum, thereby locking the drum. Both shoes should lock against the drum. If they don't, there's a fault in the way they're being applied. Take a look and give me a call. Let me know. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you.